This week in KMA land, twin winter storms grip KMA land. City and county plows battle snow events. Snowstorms put schools on ice. Page County supervisors approve Essex law enforcement plan. And Governor Reynolds gives condition to the state speech. I'm Mike Peterson. Merry Christmas, Charlie Brown. After relatively calm conditions in December, old man winter made his presence felt across the region, but not one, but two bookend winter blasts. Storm number one entered the region late Monday evening and packed a snowy punch on the region. Amounts between six to eight inches were common in most areas. No more had the snow been cleared from the first storm when a second winter bout commenced Thursday afternoon and stretched into today. In fact, the storm totals are still being calculated from this latest winter storm hitting yesterday. Paul Fajman is a meteorologist with the National Weather Service's Valley, Nebraska office. Uh, he says cold temperatures are expected to dominate this weekend now that the storm has subsided. We already have uh, several uh, wind chill uh, products out already. There's a wind chill advisory uh, for tomorrow morning. And we're looking at minimum wind chill temperatures near negative 20 degrees. Unfortunately, that is going to feel warm uh, compared to what will be coming over the rest of the weekend as temperatures continue to uh, decrease. Fadgman says a big change in the area's weather pattern is creating conditions much different from the relatively dry period experienced in December. We generally had a, a pretty warm fall and winter. Uh, you know, there's been some uh, slight interruptions of that, and that's mostly we've had a ridge of high pressure just over the uh, central portion of the country, and that allowed those temperatures to stay warm. Now what's happened is the jet stream has uh, dipped farther south, and we're going to see troughing over a good portion of the country. So there's going to be a lot of areas impacted by this. So when that jet stream dips south like that, that's going to allow uh, colder air from the Arctic to uh, flow into uh, the middle part of the country. Snow plows and snow blowers were common sights across KMA land this week following both storms. Anywhere between 4 to 7 inches fell in Shenandoah Monday and Tuesday, making snowblowers necessary. Rick Fouch was busy clearing both his property and the snowblowers following the first storm. Fouch described the snow as... Wet. Heavy wet snow. Good snowball weather. Uh, making a snowman if you want. Otherwise, Fouch wasn't too happy with the winter weather. Sunshine and 40, 50 degrees would be better. City employees out clearing streets probably echoed his remarks as crews logged marathon hours through the week tackling snow removal duties. Shenandoah City Administrator A.J. Lyman told KMA News some plows had to dodge motorists in clearing streets during the first storm. When I was out and about and I saw... The, our crews out there working, I saw all kinds of vehicles thinking that they could dart in front of them and go around big pieces of equipment. You know, they're moving slow for a reason, and I, I just ask everybody to give them time and space and be safe out there. Speaking on KMA's Morning Line program Wednesday morning, Shenandoah Mayor Roger McQueen says a combined effort of the city's streets, water, wastewater, and park and recreation departments attacked the snow removal effort. You know, I think a good thing was that the uh, forecast was correct. I mean, sometimes we've missed these, uh, so they were already uh, getting prepared for it. You know, they, they were gearing up. They knew it if this came in like they said it was going to. You know, they, they got right on it Monday. Uh, you know, pretty much worked all through the night on Monday night. They did take a couple breaks here and there, you know. Uh, and then uh, they they were out yesterday. It was just amazing the difference, you know, in, uh, in 8 to 10 hours, how much the streets had improved from them being on it. 
Though the heavy wet snow from the first storm generated moisture, McQueen says it wasn't enough to ease the city's water situation as Shenandoah remains in stage four water conservation mode. Yeah, it's it's uh, uh, quite a bit of snow, but, you know, we run on wells and groundwater and until we get some uh, thawing from this it's it's it hasn't changed anything you know i guess i look at it this way yeah we got this of course it takes a foot of snow to equal what half an inch of rain or whatever it is and so you know i don't want to say I, we don't want to have 40 inches of snow on the ground just so we can get some moisture but uh, we will take whatever we get in shenandoah a snow emergency is in effect after two inches of snow has fallen it continues until after the snow has ceased to fall and the streets are cleared from curb to curb McQueen says the city is taking a new approach to issuing citations by mailing them rather than sticking them on the vehicle's windshield. Really what brought this on is the amount of snow. It was really hard for them to tag a car that was parked uh, you know, in a snow route or illegally or whatever. And so this year, if the car is in violation, they are taking pictures of the plates and of the vehicle, and the uh, violator will get a uh, ticket in the mail. They're going to do that and be able to send them out. Now, the mayor says reports received from the police and street departments following the first blast of winter weather this week indicate good compliance from residents on the snow emergency issued during winter storm number one. Overall, from what I've talked to some of the, between the guys moving the snow and, and the PD, uh, I think we had really good cooperation from the citizens. So, you know, I, I thank them for that because it makes it a lot easier for these guys to get out with their blades and get this cleared if the cars are off. We understand their situations, but, you know, there's always some place you can find it. We have no problem with parking it in the yard if you have to, uh, but, you know, let's let's abide by it. Let's, let's try to all do this, and, and it makes it easier for everyone. Clorinda officials were pleased with the response response to the first winter storm this week as they prepared for another epic event. During Wednesday night's Clarenda City Council meeting, City Manager Gary McLarnon praised the city's public works personnel for clearing the streets as quickly as they did, particularly considering the amount of snow the community received. It's been a long time since we've had eight and a half inches of snow and I thought they did really good. They got it off of the square even this morning too. They were out widening some of the streets uh, this afternoon getting ready for the next snowfall which will probably be here on Friday. So thought they did a tremendous job with that. Like many communities, the snow ordinance was also affecting Clarinda, requiring residents to move any vehicles from city streets until the snow had ceased and all streets had been plowed from curb to curb. In terms of compliance, Clarinda Police Chief Keith Brothers says residents responded well to the snow emergency declaration. Our department issued uh, 19 citations for uh, Violation of the uh, snow ordinance and the prohibited parking on city streets. Actually, I thought that was a very low number and a good number given the fact that we haven't experienced a snow event like this in Clorinda in a number of years. And, of course, another snow event occurred yesterday. Well, Clorinda Mayor Craig Hill echoed his appreciation for residents cooperating with the ordinance. He also reminds citizens of the city's snow ordinance requirement to clear off any sidewalks in front of their homes. I know that with the amount of snow that we have, you know, there's a little leeway there, but if we get another three to five inches this weekend, which we're possibly talking about, you know, it's just going to make it more difficult. And the weather's going to be extremely cold, so everyone, please be safe and take care of themselves. Well, the county secondary roads crews are out in full force this weekend, clearing anywhere from six to eight inches of snow from rural passageways on Tuesday, and of course the battle resumed Friday morning. Page County Engineer J.D. King tells KMA News the snow's moisture content made plowing a challenge, at least in storm number one. Uh, this is a heavy snow, and it's pushing hard. The road conditions would be... Uh, 
winter driving conditions. There's probably packed snow on the pavements and gravels where uh, we've plowed. We're plowing uh, heavy snow off. We have our trucks have wings, and hopefully that's uh, helping get the snow all the way off. Well, this week's snowstorms also wreaked havoc on school schedules as classes were wiped out in KMA land districts all through the week. Shenandoah School Superintendent Dr. Carrie Nelson is one of the administrators making the decision whether to hold school on days of inclement weather. Speaking on KMA's Morning Line program Tuesday morning, Nelson says area superintendents communicate via Zoom regarding winter storm situations. As far as Monday, we were looking at reports that it could be between 6 to 12 inches and that it was going to come in midday. So that decision's a little bit harder than decisions like today because it's going to be perfectly fine at 6, 7 in the morning, but then by 9 in the morning, it's going to be more challenging. And so as we're making decisions and looking at those reports, that's when you start really working with your neighboring superintendents and try to come up with a common decision. After first declaring a two-hour late start for Tuesday, Nelson says deteriorating conditions prompted a change to another snow day. In Shenandoah, we weren't getting quite as much snow as what some of our neighbors were. And so rather than make an immediate decision, we felt it would be best to announce a delay. And then early this morning, we made the decision when we woke up and saw the amount of snow on the ground that um, most certainly we did need to close, and so we mm-hmm. made the announcement by about 5.30 this morning. Again, that was on Tuesday morning, and Nelson says she also relied on road reports from another area school official. One of our neighboring superintendents had been out driving and had contacted me to let me know that you know they had some concerns that most certainly you do check the roads, you do check in with the drivers who typically are on the roads. You know, several of our bus drivers live a great distance from the school and can be good informants about what's happening. The report was the snow is deep and the roads aren't good. Speaking at Wednesday afternoon's Clarinda School Board meeting, Clarinda School Superintendent Jeff Privius says it's important to communicate with other districts regarding the weather situation. We have usually about an hour discussion about what we're going to do and you try not to be on that island by yourself whether you go and everybody closes or, or you close and everybody stays open. So um, yesterday we were a little more divided on what to do because everybody's itching to get back, but uh, we're constantly seems to be having a meeting daily or at least a Zoom daily or we're texting and all those kind of things. Privius says he and other superintendents opted for a snow day Wednesday because the icy gravel roads weren't safe enough for school buses. We just felt it was just too risky for those big buses to be out there with drifts um, as high as you know the doors on the bus. So. Just hold off, and everybody ended up holding off. Of course, classes in most districts were canceled on Friday as well. In other news, for the first time in over 30 years, Page County plans to provide police services to the city of Essex. By unanimous vote Thursday night, the county's Board of Supervisors approved a law enforcement contract with the city effective at midnight January 20th and running until July 1st. The agreement follows the city of Shenandoah's termination of a similar 28E agreement effective January 19th. Shenandoah Police provided coverage since 2012, with the county last providing its services in 1992. Page County Chief Deputy Charles McCullough says they ultimately came to an hourly rate of just over $65 to charge the city, which is required by Iowa Code to provide police services. The contract is for 15 hours per week at the rate of $65.25 per hour. Uh, and we are only going to be investigating and in, in charging state and federal crimes. We are not going to do city ordinances or anything like that.
Page County Sheriff Lyle Palmer says Essex Mayor Calvin Kindy indicated the city plans to look into its own police force. Their ultimate goal is to find, according to their mayor, to find a, a chief of police and maybe a couple part-time officers that will do that. Um, I know that he is looking very, very diligently for a patrol vehicle. Um, I've given him the, the Iowa Law Enforcement Academy so he can call up there as a mayor. He can talk to them about what they need. Palmer says the city will also have to purchase radios as they weren't given any during the last upgrade due to not having their own police force along with body and vehicle cameras. Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds outlined her proposed changes to special education in the state in her 2024 Condition of the State Address before a joint session of the Iowa Legislature Tuesday. Reynolds spent much of her speech on education, including special education services, which are currently provided by nine regional area education agencies to Iowans with disabilities from birth through age 21. The governor plans to introduce legislation removing the current requirements for school districts to allocate their special education dollars to their regional AEA. If a school likes the services from their AEA, they can continue to use them. If they want to use a neighboring AEA instead, they can do that. Or they can go outside the AEA system, contract with a private company, or partner with other districts to share a speech or behavioral therapist, or they can spend more on special education teachers and put the dollars right into the classroom. Reynolds proposed adding oversight of AEAs through the Department of Education and limiting the regional agencies to just special education services. However, the governor denied any assertions that the proposals involved cutting down the agencies or special education funding. This claim is categorically false. In fact, we're not reducing special education funding by one dime. We are simply giving control of the funding to those who work directly with your child on a daily basis and taking special education off autopilot. Reynolds also proposes legislation that would increase teacher starting pay in the state to $50,000 and require a $62,000 salary for teachers with at least 12 years of experience. The governor also introduced a tax plan that would speed up the process of cutting individual income taxes that initially began in 2022. Reynolds hopes to reduce Iowa's income tax rate to 3.65% of the current fiscal year, retroactive January 1, 2024, before the state falls to a flat 3.5% in fiscal year 2025. This bill represents a total savings of almost $3.8 billion for taxpayers over the next five years. And it gets there by cutting taxes for every Iowan who pays them. The average family of four with an income of about 78000 we'll see a tax savings of over 25%. Reynolds' address began with a moment of silence for the victims and families of last week's Perry High School shooting. She thanked Perry law enforcement and first responders for their service in responding to the shooting that killed an 11-year-old student and injured seven others, including Principal Dan Marburger, who sustained multiple gunshot wounds while trying to protect students. Democratic leadership in the Iowa legislature believes some of Governor Kim Reynolds' proposals are short-sighted. House Minority Leader Jennifer Confirst delivered her party's response to Reynolds' condition of the state address 
on Iowa PBS Tuesday night. Conferis primarily took issue with the governor's proposal limiting AAAs strictly to special education services. And when we think about things like what just happened in Perry, we had AEA professionals on the ground to help with mental health. When there's a suicide in, in, a, in a school, AEA professionals are the ones who are there. She wants to boost behavioral health. Why are you getting rid of the behavioral health, mental health um, work that the AEAs are doing? It just seems to me to be a little short-sighted. And, you know, certainly it all sounds great, but there's a lot of things AEAs do in these rural communities across the state. While saying she strongly favors paying teachers more, Confer says the proposal carries a few unknowns. What about the paraprofessionals and other education professionals in the school, some of whom are earning less than $10 an hour? What happens to them when they have that one-on-one -on -one access with their kids? You know, it's new money, but where's that money coming from and what strings are attached? And so we think it's a great idea. It's a great headline to want teacher pay increased. We want to know what else are we going to do to help teachers and who's all going to benefit from this bill. Confer says financial relief for Iowans needs to come in more ways than just a tax bill, saying nearly 500,000 Iowans would see little or no benefit from the proposal. We want to make sure that we're also addressing the 500,000 Iowans who are being left behind with what the governor proposed tonight. And so we're going to be asking about them. We're going to be asking what are we going to do to lower costs for those folks. We didn't hear anything tonight about affordable housing, about child care, about utilities. We heard none of that. And costs are more than income taxes, right? Everyone's costs have gone up. It's not just taxes. How are we going to help everyone out? Despite Reynolds's moment of silence for the victims and families impacted by the shooting in Perry last week, Confirst also expressed frustration over not hearing any legislative proposal or solution to try and prevent the next school shooting. Iowa Democrats face a 64-36 Republican majority in the Iowa House and a 34-16 GOP majority in the Iowa Senate. Clarinda school officials are taking a different approach to securing funding for much-needed infrastructure projects. By unanimous vote Wednesday afternoon, the Clarinda School Board approved a resolution setting a special election for March and a voted physical plant and equipment levy. Proceeds from the voted pebble of $1.34 per $1,000 valuation will cover a long list of projects included in a $10.3 million bond issue rejected by voters in November. Speaking on KMA's Morning Line program Thursday morning, Clarinda School Superintendent Jeff Privia says only a 50% majority is necessary for passing the PEPL, rather than the 60% supermajority needed for a bond issue referendum. One of the biggest difference for a voted PEPL and a bond is you can bond against a uh, voted PEPL for only 10 years, where a GO bond, you can bond for 20. So it kind of cuts your money in half that you can bond against. But Privia says the district still has some big needs to address, such as heating and air conditioning repairs. We just spent $100,000 over Christmas break putting in uh, nine new heat pumps at our elementary. Um, and we're not even close to being done with 70-some heat pumps that are at the elementary. Um, we had a couple of units at our high school go down that uh, we had to put some new bearings in that are anywhere from 12 to 25 years old. So uh, we're, we're, we're doing a lot of infrastructure work in Clarinda, and, you know, if we can get some of this, if we can get this uh, voted pebble passed, that'll give us a chance to get some of this taken care of so we can really focus on some of the other things that, need to, that we need to make our district a little bit better. Also in the district's pebble wish list is installation of a safe and secure entryway at the pre-K-6 complex. Privia says that project is important in light of last week's deadly shooting incident in the Perry School District. Moving forward for us would be um, securing an entrance where 
Uh, you have to be buzzed in at least twice before you can get into the school. And right now we don't have that option. Once you're, once you get into the school, you kind of have free reign at the elementary um, of which way you want to go. A new entryway would really cut down on anybody's access to get into the school. And uh, in fact, we would probably have people come get them instead of letting them go to the classrooms. Privius says the district will take the same campaign approach as with the November 7th referendum, including mailers and open houses in the facilities. You can hear the full interview with Jeff Privia with the web story at kmaland.com as well as on our Morning Line page. Support for federal funding for an upcoming bridge replacement on the north side of Clarinda was expressed at Wednesday's Clarinda City Council meeting. By a 4 nothing vote Wednesday evening, the council approved a resolution to support up to $1.5 million in federal city bridge funding for replacing a bridge on North 16th Street. Clarinda City Manager Gary McLarnon says planning for replacing the bridge has been ongoing for several years. However, he adds the federal city bridge funds became available after the latest inspection by the Iowa Department of Transportation on bridges throughout the state done every two years. Based on the inspection, they put it on the uh, DOT's list, and the DOT looks at all the bridges in the state of Iowa, and then they determine if there's funding available based on the shape that they're in. There's a point system they use. Well, I knew that we were getting close, and sure enough, this year we did qualify. So the DOT has contacted me and has told me that there's federal aid funds eligible to replace the bridge uh, up to $1.5 million. Yeah, it's roughly $500,000 in state funds are also eligible for the project, estimated at $1.1 million. McLarnon says the resolution also allows the engineers to move forward and begin the design process for the new structure. We are at the place where we're, we're going to have to do something. We did discuss maybe taking the bridge out and putting in a box culvert, but that was actually going to be more expensive than replacing the bridge. The only kicker on the project, McLarnon says, the city providing a local match by covering the engineering fees. He says those fees are estimated at $300,000. We can use road use funds for that. But I have talked to Public Works Director Adam Brown and alerted him that this is probably what would happen. We do have, in the near future, a snowplow truck slated. He said they could get by with what they've got. So what we'll probably end up having to do is to trade the snowplow truck that he was wanting to get, kick it out a couple more years, and then pay for the engineering fees. While the replacement bridge will be less weight-limited than the current structure, McLarnon says it'll divert traffic for an extended period. McLarnon notes the construction is likely a couple more years out to allow for the design and final planning. Thanks to a generous donation, Clarinda Regional Health Center officials recently opened a new operating room. Among the various upgrades and expansions at the hospital, one project included the surgery suite and a new 800-square-foot operating room. The expansion follows years of planning and construction following a $750,000 donation from the Hugh and Maxine Loudon Estate. CRHC CEO Chuck Nordyke tells KMA News the new room provides a state-of-the-art facility with up-to-date technology and amenities. We have one operating room currently, and it is um, large, um, and it's well-equipped uh, with everything, and this one is even bigger. So not only are, are we equipped with the newest technology now, but we're set for any future things that we may want to do down the road. 
um, as technology progresses and you know, new things come out. Nordyk says donation was initially made in 2013, just one year after the current hospital was constructed. We talked with the family and kind of put that money aside for our next, next expansion project, um, which uh, turned out to be the surgery suite. And I was I had the fortunate uh, opportunity to meet with Lynn and Orville Dodd. And we sat down and talked about it, and they thought it was a great opportunity to do this. Nordyke says design work for the operating room began about a year before the COVID-19 pandemic, but like many projects, construction was delayed as the pandemic impacted supply chains and other problems. That wraps up this week in KMA Land. Be listening each week at this time for This Week in KMA Land. And for more information all the time, log on to KMALand.com. You can also hear this program in its entirety. For the entire KMA News team, this is Mike Peterson. Thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend. This Week in KMA Land, a presentation of KMA News.